think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Kings of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 337 of Low Limit Football on this 26th of September, 2021. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, big derbies are played in Rome, London, and New York. We'll give you the results of all the top action this week. Man City and Chelsea play a one-sided affair with City gaining all three points in a one nothing victory, but neither team moved into the top spot in the Premier League. We'll let you know who leads after six matches. And match day two of Champions League and Europa League begins this week. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Ralph Hanna from Guinness World Records and Guarani Vision, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm good, Joe. How are you? Good, good. Just another uh, another week in the books, uh, another, uh, another week closer to the international break, right? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but, definitely excited for that, that one. Let me ask you this. I know there are people out there that absolutely hate, absolutely hate the international break. I personally, I like it. I don't want to say that I absolutely love it, but I like it when there are things on the line. Um, CONMEBOL qualifying. Uh, you know, we had European qualifying. We have CONCACAF qualifying. You know, there are meaningful matches being played. It's not that March window where you're getting just the, the friendlies as everyone's getting their legs back under them. There, there, there are reasons to play. And when that happens, I am all here for it. Um, how about you? I mean, are are you, uh, are you way up on the, uh, on the international break food chain? Are you, you know, wish that it never happened in your life? I mean, where are you at? No, no, I'm way up. I, I agree. I think, you know, obviously being Paraguayan, you're always, always in tune with what's going on in South America, but obviously being the United States as well, we're also in tune with what's going on in CONCACAF. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I agree. I think when there's things on the line, I think that's when it gets more tight. And, but even before that, even the journey there, you always want to enjoy following that journey and, and seeing how they got there. That's always been something that I've always enjoyed. But no, I'm really high up on that. Not just for these type of games, but obviously Copa America, the Euros, Gold Cups, um, 
those kind of matches, the big tournaments, those are the ones that are super important. Yeah. The friendlies as well, but to an extent. Yeah, those March friendlies, are, are they can be painful, um, especially when we're watching CONCACAF um, and you're watching like the third string MLS player who is literally four practices in one match in at best. Um, those are painful to watch. But but these matches coming up, I'm I'm here for them, man. I I I want them all. Um, and one thing I've got to try and focus on this particular window, I have to see where uh, where we are with uh, African qualifying because I, I know I've kind of turned my focus away from that a little bit. So I want to I've got to go and dive a little deeper into that and see how that's going as well because I know there's a lot of exciting football that's played there and and I'm missing it a little bit. So definitely got to keep our eyes open. So um, we've got a great show today. Uh, great opening thoughts, uh, and uh, and certainly uh, a great guest in Ralph Hanna, who joined us just a little earlier on, and we'll bring you that interview in a moment. But first, uh, I have the honor of trivia, my friend, and I have a fresh question for you, if you don't mind. Fire it away. All right. So uh, this comes from Italian Football TV. Uh, that's my source. And it is based on the uh, the Rome Derby that was played today. Obviously, a 3-2 exciting matchup. Lazio beating Roma in this one. Pedro... Uh, who played for Lazio and previously played for Roma, scored today in that match, becoming the third player to score for both sides in the Rome Derby. Can you name the other two? I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint. The other two players, neither of them are Italian. So, so there you go. Okay. So throw your Giorgio Canalias, who I don't think played for Roma anyway. Um, you know, throw the Ciro Immobiles and everybody else out the window. These are two non-Italians. And they're the only two other people that have scored in both sides of the Rome Derby. So give you the answer in, uh, at the end of the show. So let's jump into opening thoughts, my friend. And opening thoughts, I mean, obviously, uh, first and foremost, uh, week two or match day two of Champions League coming up this week. Going to just go look at the, uh, the, the tables real quick uh, in Group A. Man City uh, leading the way with three points. PSG, remember, drawing Club Brugge on uh, match day one, one, one. Uh, Liverpool leading Group B with Atleti and Porto right up there at well, one point apiece as well. Ajax and Dortmund both winning their both opening matches, so they both lead Group C. Group D, Sheriff Tiraspol and Real Madrid leading the way. Uh, Sheriff Tiraspol beating Shakhtar Donetsk and Real Madrid pulling out the 1-0 victory over Inter in match day one. Group E led by Bayern Munich, uh, another dominant performance, 3-0 over Barcelona. Benfica and Dinamo Kiev are uh, second place tied there in that one. Group F, the surprise, Young Boys, three three uh, points after one match, 2-1 victory over Manchester United. Atalanta and Villarreal had played to a 2-2 draw in match day one. They are currently sitting in second. Group G, Salzburg, Sevilla, Lille, and Wolfsburg all tied on one point. Salzburg and Sevilla playing to a 1-1 draw. Lille and Wolfsburg to a 0-0 draw. And the last group, Juventus and Chelsea both leading the way, three points. Uh, Zenit and Malmo bringing up the rear uh, and uh, Juve, three goals, four, uh, with a 3-0 victory over Malmo. Chelsea, 1-0 over Zenit in match day one. So coming up this week, we've got some interesting matchups now that we've looked at the table. Uh, obviously, we've got Shakhtar Donetsk and Inter coming up. AC Milan, Atletico Madrid, um, which I can't believe we didn't put that one in the match of the week coming up. The big one. PSG Manchester City on Tuesday. And then when we fast forward to Wednesday, let's see if young boys can continue their hot streak, taking on Atalanta in Bergamo in that one. Um, we've got Barca and Juve playing. We've got uh, Chelsea. Uh, I'm sorry. We've got Man United and, uh, and Villarreal also in this one. So we've got some nice, interesting matchups. Let's obviously look at the biggest one first and foremost, PSG Man City. 
uh, reports earlier today that uh, Lionel Messi was practicing with the team. They're hopeful that he will come back from his bone bruise and play in this match. But I think right now we're looking at limited participation at best if he does overcome his injury. Uh, PSG certainly not sitting in the best of places after tying Club Brugge uh, 1-1 in, that, in match day one. City, though, coming off a 1-0 victory over Chelsea coming off of an absolute destruction of RB Leipzig, if I remember correctly, I think it was 6-3 uh, in that one, with Leipzig picking up a red card in that match. Uh, this really, even though this is going to be played at the Parc des Princes in, in uh, Paris, we're really looking at Man City kind of taking this one, don't you think? Um, or is this something where that that not having that true number 9, which we kind of saw shades of it against Chelsea on the weekend, come back to bite City and PSG pull out on top? What are your thoughts on this one? No, it's going to be a tight affair. I think um, certainly it's all going to depend on the condition of Lionel Messi if he does indeed play for this match. But um, I I think the pressure is more on PSG, don't you think? I think certainly after the the 1-1 draw against Club Bruges away from home, a result where you expect PSG to to go and get it, um, and they couldn't. So I think they're under more pressure now, especially now at home. Okay, it's probably against the toughest rival that you'll have in this group, but uh, you're going to have to be all guns blazing in a match like this because you look at how both these teams are battling out for those top spots it's going to be a match that i think is more obligated for the home seed for for city i think yes they might have the advantage of perhaps being the side more in form you would say but um you know i i think yeah it's going to depend on how they're able to to maintain that possession and if, if they're able to break through uh i think probably the the biggest, not biggest loss, but I think the biggest uh, issue that PSG have at the moment is their defense. So I think if they're able to capitalize on that and and see what kind of result that they get, I think you really are going to start asking some questions of PSG if they fail to get a result here. And I think it's it's perfectly obligatory for them to to get the win over there in in Paris. Yeah, you know, and to paraphrase Paraguay Ralph, um, you know, wanted to play a little word there, but a little preview of the interview. uh, You know, he said PSG's problem is is that they are they are not good playing without the ball. Right. This is a team. These are two teams that just want to possess. They want to possess. They want to knock it around and then ultimately break you down and score on you. Um, I think PSG will will certainly have, uh, I don't want to call it an easier time of it, but they, I feel confident in their ability to counterattack with, with Kylian Mbappe and his speed and his ability, um, and Angel Di Maria as well. To be able to 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 counterattack with speed and precision, I think, is something that uh, PSG is going to be very dangerous with. But I think ultimately, like you, like you kind of said, uh, PSG don't defend well without the ball. Uh, they really need to possess. City, we saw on the weekend, they want to possess. So this is going to be, I think this this match for me is going to kind of start out as a little bit more of a chess match. I don't feel like either team is just going to drive and drive and drive at each other. I think they're going to kind of feel each other out first, but then you may see a lot of that give and take. And it's going to be interesting to see how well PSG manages the pressure from Manchester City. Are they able to overcome it? Are they able to overturn it? And are they able to score on the counter? Because I think that's where their bread and butter is going to be made against City, um, uh, you know, uh, midweek uh, on Tuesday. So the other match I want to just mention out there real quick is AC Milan Atletico Madrid, because uh, this is a big Group B matchup. Liverpool obviously will be taking on Porto. Atleti on one point after tying Porto in match day one. AC Milan losing that 3-2 uh, result to Liverpool in uh, in Anfield. And 
AC Milan is certainly playing much, much better. Uh, they're currently towards the top of the table. They're not at the top. I believe uh, that spot belongs to Napoli after this afternoon's result. Um, but AC Milan are certainly making a name for themselves. And uh, this Atleti side is coming off, if I remember correctly, losing on the weekend to Granada. Um, and I've got to go back and look at my notes, but I think that's who they lost to this weekend. And it was something that hadn't happened in like 10 years. So Atleti looked like they're a team going one way, where AC Milan looked like they're going the other way. Liverpool, you would expect them to beat Porto, um, even though they drew Brentford on the on the weekend. Uh, you would expect them still to be able to go to Portugal and get a result. So this match becomes incredibly important for both Atleti and AC Milan if they want to be, uh, if they want to keep pace with Liverpool and if they want to possibly take over Liverpool or at least maintain that second spot. What do you think about this particular matchup? Because this is for me one of the tastier matches of the weekend or the week. Yeah, yeah, no, it's going to be very tight. Um... Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think, um, I think like many people would say, I think this is the tightest group of all of the groups in the Champions League. I think certainly for for Milan's case, you know, they feel as if though they need to take that initiative, and I think they need to see what kind of team that they have. Okay, maybe they're not the favorite to get out of the group alongside. I think right now, I think still Liverpool and Atleti have enough quality to get out and advance. Um, but I do think that if Milan are able to to get a result here and and that by that I mean a win, I think that's going to make this tight even more interesting. And it all depends on what happens with Liverpool against Porto. This is to say, who knows what could happen in that matchup? But you know, you get a few results there and there, and now it gets a bit more tricky for for Atleti. Um, but they they definitely need to get that result as well. I think. Both sides are going into this matchup with the obligation to win. Atleti, obviously, who came off from that loss uh, over the weekend against Alaves um, and, and the draw against Porto. But Milan, who obviously got the loss against Liverpool at Anfield, which is tough to get, which I understand. But but being at home, it's it's very much a, an interesting matchup. But I, I think one of these results could, in the, if it goes one way, for the team to get all three points, I think will definitely paint a bigger picture for them in, in terms of qualifying out of the group. No doubt. Uh, on Wednesday, the big match we want to talk up real quick is Juve-Chelsea. And this match, I mean, certainly I think still on paper is probably the best match of the Wednesday matches. Um, and look to be much closer. You saw Juve with the 3-0 victory over Malmo. You saw them win on the weekend here, 3-2 against Sampdoria at home, welcoming Chelsea in. But the big news of the day for Juventus is they are losing both Alvaro Morata and Paulo Dybala to muscle injuries uh, from today's match and will not have them not only for this match, but looking like they might not have them for the derby in, in, against Turin uh, on the weekend. Um, Chelsea obviously coming off the 1-0 against uh, 1-0 loss to Manchester City, but certainly look like a team that is still well organized, playing very, very well under Thomas Tuchel and really just didn't finish off their chances that they had against City or that might have been a very different result. This went from being a very close match to kind of you feel like it's going to be one-sided Chelsea, don't you think? Yeah, I think um, I, I think you could give the initiative to Chelsea in this one. I think what we saw over the weekend, I don't expect that to happen for a long period of time during the season. Of course, I, I think Chelsea will indeed drop points and 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 have those issues maybe with like you know what we see in the Premier League usually where there's always that kind of bogey team that messes them up or or a, or a top four side that want to obviously compete. But I think for this, I, I think you Chelsea are the favorites here. I think Juventus mm-hmm. they definitely need to get this result at home because 
yes, even though it was a slow start and now they're continuing to win games, but they need to do it in a convincing way. You know, the fact that they haven't had the fact that they're only clean shake this season was against Malmo, which is expected causes concerns. I think if Juventus are able to get a convincing win here, then it will kind of steer the ship a bit more easier. But of course, I think um, both these sides are still favorites to qualify out of their group. Um, The question will be which position that both of them will fall into. And I think it will be determined on this one as well, the return leg in London. But um, certainly you would think that whoever comes out here victorious will probably have more of the advantage of getting out of their group in first place, assuming that they also get the results needed against Senate and for Malmo and against Malmo as well. No doubt. No doubt. And, you know, obviously, for from the Juve standpoint, a lot more pressure just got put on uh, Federico Chiesa's shoulders. Uh, although he did play well today with uh, Bernardeschi and uh, and and uh, Dejan Kulishevsky. Uh there's going to be a lot of pressure for those guys to score, to perform, to produce. Um, and then, how much pressure is going to be on the back line of Juve, especially with uh, with a 30 plus uh, Leo Bonucci and a 30 plus Giorgio Chiellini? Tons of experience, a wealth of knowledge, um, and a familiarity with each other. But again, you know. And they've handled Romelu Lukaku. They proved that last season. But what uh, what is it going to take for them to pull it off again? Is it might be a little bit too much of an ask uh, coming into this one. So um, let's table our discussion for the Champions League. We'll have some Champions League matches marked off for you in our match of the week coming up. Uh, but again, like I mentioned earlier, we were joined uh, earlier by Ralph Hanna from Guinness World Records and from Guarani Vision, uh, a show that you also co-host, my friend. And we were able to discuss uh, the London Derby today as uh, as Arsenal pulled out a big, big victory over Tottenham Hotspur. So without further ado, the Ralph Hanna interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from Guinness World Records and Guarani Vision, Mr. Ralph Hanna. Ralph, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's always great to have you on with us. I want to open with a question about today's London Derby. Uh, obviously, big, big win for Arsenal, 3-1 over Tottenham Hotspur especially given the way Arsenal started the season, which was, was incredibly poor. Um, and you being an Arsenal supporter, I'd like your reaction both to today's match and also how this, this kind of looks to you moving forward. Can Arsenal get this turned back around and start to get back into those European positions we always expect them to get to? Hey, Joe. Uh, hi, Roberto. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, I'm in a very good mood thanks to that Arsenal result, the 3-1 win over Tottenham today. Is a is a good question about why is this team able to win three on the row, three in a row as they just have done compared to losing those three to to kind of start the season where it looked it looked really dire. I mean, they they didn't seem a way out. Um, I thought today particularly they played really well in the transitions. The the three goals that come in the first half are all kind of winning the ball ball back rather quickly. Tottenham didn't have time to set and, and Arsenal were just moving the ball very quickly which is something they can often do when Smithrow and Saka are both playing but it, there's been times especially towards the back end of last season where you saw Arsenal could dominate possession in games but they couldn't really penetrate. They weren't able to break the lines. I think another person that's helped a lot is, is Odegaard as well who's who was you know he's been important today but he was important in the in the last couple of games as well as as maybe helping them lift that level so that was that's some of the things off the bat and then the the big thing that that maybe we didn't haven't made enough of yet is that it's this 
defence. So the first three games, Arsenal didn't have that back five, which they've had for the last three games. The back five, including Ramsdale in goal, and then the Whites and Gabriel partnership, uh, Kieran Tierney at the left, and then and then the new signing at right back. And Arsenal have have since they've had that back five, they kind of have looked much much stronger, I suppose, and and set from a better base and, and being able to build up from deep, which is also part of, of the Arteta strategy, we think, is that, you know, he wants Arsenal to be able to build up from deep. Whether it can keep going, I don't know. I've, I've seen this a long time of Arsenal getting your hopes up, you know, with those few performances, but but not always able to sustain it. So I think we'll see, particularly after the international break with a lot of players playing and, and possibly picking up injuries. Let's see how how the squad looks. This was a game where everybody in the first team was fit, which is the first time in a long time Arsenal have had all their squad, you know, ready and together. Um, so whether it's sustainable or not, I don't want to, I don't want to get my hopes up too much because I've seen them dash before, especially if you get one or two key injuries later in the season. But having said that, um, Ralph, I mean, looking at Arsenal as a whole, obviously, you know, this is the first time in, I think, over 25 years or something that they're not going to be participating in any European competition. So that means that, excuse me, that kind of focus on the domestic level is obviously going to be huge. So do you feel that maybe that might play in part to Arsenal and how they uh, finish the season? Yeah, that's that's a really good point because... Arsenal don't have some of the squad depth of the of the big six, let's say, um, but they're not playing in European competition for the first time, so maybe they don't need as deep a squad as they have previously, and and that could really help them in terms of bouncing back. So so that is a great point um, to see if that you know how not having to play those midweek games. Um, helps them or could help them during the season because if we remember the last few years for all Arsenal's problems they've always gone very deep in cup competitions both FA Cup but also in the in the Europa League so there's there's has been that feeling that there's been a lot of fatigue for the for the players um, so this is something I suppose that's, that's definitely in their favour this year and, and gives them an advantage maybe of those other fringe teams around which I would call well, Spurs themselves, Leicester, West Ham, Everton, because that's that's maybe the kind of the kind of positions or people or teams that will be taking up those positions come the end of the season. Now, looking at what we saw, uh, obviously in the North London Derby, obviously we knew that a side like Tottenham would always want to contend for those top spots. But now, as we look at the table, and you know, it's only six games, and it's far from over, and not just here, but in all of Europe. We look at the usual suspects in there, like Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, and Manchester United. I wanted to ask you, do you feel that those are the four that come at the end of the season will still fight for those spots? Or, you know, looking at other teams like Everton, looking at teams like even Brighton, you know, they, they, they play tomorrow, obviously, and, you know, and a, and, win, and a win for them could actually see them uh, top of the table. So do you feel as if, though, it's going to be those four that are going to fight for those spots uh even the league title as a whole, or do you feel that maybe there are some teams below them that could indeed surprise um, towards the end? I think looking at that top four at the moment, um, they're the four that have the best squads, probably barring maybe Man United, the top managers. Um, those are the teams that I would expect to be fighting for the 
towards the end of the season. You look at uh, Brighton's a really good point. I mean, Brighton was a side that last season were, according to XG, were should have been much higher up the table. They just weren't able to take chances. This season, they're they're managing that, and they've they've had a really good start to the season. But I think if we're realistic with the with a Brighton, even with an Aston Villa, who got a great result yesterday as well, um, those teams when it when it gets into the crunch of kind of February, March, and and those games have been building up, that's usually where you see those those teams struggling to keep up. There's also always a good point to think about how good the the manager is because those the good managers really for me come into play in the second half of the season where they when they're playing teams for the second time because those really top managers will have worked out what might have gone wrong in the first game or what they can counteract or neutralize in the in the return game and then have a stronger second half of the season so that's also something to to pick up on specifically when we talk of those top four because I think that that's where Man United struggle because you have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who doesn't have that experience in in winning championships like your like your other three managers there. Now, looking into one of those teams, and I think many have uh, argued that um, within this week coming up, that this side has probably the three toughest fixtures in world football at the moment. I'm talking, of, of course, of Manchester City, who they played Chelsea and passed their first test, beating them at Sanford Bridge. But now they have to take on PSG in the Champions League, which could indeed coincide to possibly deciding who might finish first or second in that group and then against Liverpool another direct rival and obviously two teams that are really fighting for that um, Premier League title so I just want your thoughts on how you have assessed Manchester City start you know it it was kind of a a slow start I mean they were able to get the wins and bar Norwich City where they scored five and and obviously Arsenal um, you know they they picked up points um, in the in the Champions League they were able to get 1-0 wins over Tottenham and Leicester. They tied Southampton. Um, so how do you assess this side now heading into the next two fixtures that they have? Well, the the big question about Man City has been without, playing without a striker to some extent. And and then they managed to, to win yesterday with Gabriel Jesus uh, scoring and scoring the winner. But but those of us that watch South American football, like I know you do, Roberto, we, we saw him play really well on the right wing for, for Brazil in the Copa America. And he's actually, I think, you know, more suited to playing wide than, than being this this one striker. So that's, that seems to be, you know, the weakness, the biggest weakness that this Man City team might have is what happens in those games where they come against, come up against a very well-organized team or a very good defensive side and and do they have that kind of player that can that can break down defenses because you know you look at some of the other teams around them i mean man united have now signed cristiano ronaldo uh, chelsea have got lukaku who did score yesterday but but was rightly offside from from the kai havertz pass um <clears throat> then you have you know liverpool have that pretty much that front three you have you have mane firmino and and salah so they have all these different ways of, of attacking of of those attacking players. So it is funny to think of a Man City team that's that's well known for scoring so many goals that that maybe their weakness is that that one striker or forward that that could get the goal in a in a very a very tight game. 
Um, but then talking quickly about the, the Paris Saint-Germain game, they're, they're not really facing a team that's, that's very good defensively because I would say, I would argue that PSG's biggest weakness is, you know, when they're playing without the ball. Um, <clears throat> Pepper-spaced Pochettino, obviously, last year in the in the semifinals and came out on top in both both games. They faced off each other when Pochettino was at Spurs, also in the... Oh, that was the quarterfinals, if I remember rightly, in the Champions League. Um, and that game, there was one game that Man City won four three to, to you know, to, um, having having lost one nil. And you know he's already. I was looking at a few results between when when City used to play Spurs as well, and they they did have a lot of wins against the Pochettino team. I think Pochettino, other than the Champions League, he got he got one other win against uh, against Man City in his first season. So it's. So it's you know it's a team that or it's another manager that Pep feels he could he could get one over, and I don't think Paris Saint Germain you know they don't pose the problem that's really going to hit City this year, which would be the the well organised defensive side that could maybe frustrate them and and then break them down. <clears throat> um, in in contrast, coming off the back of this and then having to go to Anfield, I mean, that's really tough. So it is a very difficult schedule, thinking that they've just come from Stamford Bridge as well. I mean, to have those three away games for City is is very, very tough. Um, Liverpool obviously play away against Porto midweek, which is a difficult place to go, but I don't think it's, it's going to be the same kind of test that, that City have. And then Liverpool will have the advantage of being at home for next week's Premier League game. So it is a really difficult run coming up for Man City. Um, but, well, they got through that. They just about got that through through that first test. I don't know what you thought, Roberti. I know you were up very early watching the game as well. Uh, Chelsea, you know, they created enough chances uh, really to have got back into the game. Um, so, this, you know, we'll see. They've got through this first test. I think they can... Probably have enough to get a result in Paris, or you know, even beating Paris Saint Germain or getting a draw, which would be a good result. Um, but then the Liverpool game could become a test too far after these very two challenging away games. I, I don't know if Roberto wanted to jump in, but I, I definitely wanted to jump in and respond because um, I also was was up a little early to see most of uh, the uh, the match between Chelsea and City, and for me, Chelsea just tried to absorb too much. Now, granted, like you said, they, they did create chances on the counter. Um, a couple of them you thought maybe they should have finished and it would have changed the complexity of the game for sure. But I think that City, you know, as much as you want to try and absorb their pressure, when you hit them on the counter, you've got to make those chances count. And Chelsea just didn't ultimately do that. And, and I think it, it cost them. Uh, obviously, with the amount of possession City had in that match, I want to say at one point it was like 80-20. Uh, where where City were just absolutely dominant in possession, um, you've got to look at City and say that you know you need to finish those chances because if Chelsea were just a little bit better technically in, on the opposite end of, end of the pitch, there's a different result and and maybe we're looking at City in a different light leading into uh, their match against PSG this week and then obviously at Anfield. What did, what did you think? Did you think it was more of a function of City's dominance, Ralph, or did you think it was more of Chelsea's lack of finishing that really? turn the table in the match itself well I think Chelsea were happy to play despite being the home team they were kind of happy to play without the ball hoping that they could make those chances count on the break mm. which is valid given the team 
giving the team they have, right? And what we saw in terms of possession, as you're mentioning, it, it does change a lot in towards the end of the second half when he brought on uh, Havertz for, for Kante. And there, I think he was trying to say, okay, let's try and keep a bit more of the ball higher up the field and, and actually try and do, you know, do something or do some damage to to City. But uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, they they didn't really, City didn't really seem to struggle with, you know, where in those moments where, where Chelsea were trying to hit them on the counter-attack, uh, just towards the very end, I think that last 10, 15 minutes with it still only being 1-0 and, and Chelsea with the crowd behind them maybe could have done something to make it to make it count. But I think you're right. In terms of the way they set up, both teams set up in the first half, uh, Guardiola had got it right. Well, I mean, it's the only way he plays really is, right. is having that possession. But I think it worked to his favour that uh, that Chelsea were trying to say, OK, we can, we'll try and play without the ball and, and, and hit you in transition, which, you know, the the city were prepared for I suppose is is the right way yeah. and it's only in the second half that you see Chelsea maybe trying to get that that goal that, that could have brought it back yeah you'd have to say it almost worked um but uh but certainly you got to finish your chances I want to look at one other team you know because we've we've talked about City and their difficult road that Chelsea uh PSG and then Liverpool coming up on the weekend uh certainly an incredible road all three matches on the road as well uh, but their counterpart at the end of that, Liverpool, also have a very difficult schedule leading all the way through October. Um, like you had mentioned earlier, they will be traveling to Portugal to face FC Porto. Uh, then they welcome City at home. Uh, they will then, after the international break, will face Watford on the road, Atleti on the road in Champions League, and then United on the road uh, in the Premier League again, back all the way down in October 24th. Um, we know that the we know that the Premier League is going to be very very tight this season and and it's actually funny you know we talk about City's one nil win over Chelsea you would have think that City would have moved into the top spot uh, but Liverpool even though drawing Brentford which was an exciting matchup three three at the end Liverpool are the team that actually is in first place right now in the Premiership and they definitely have a very difficult road ahead of them for the entire month of October. At the end of October, are we still looking at Liverpool as as a leader in the Premier League? Are they going to be in first place? Are they going to be top of their group in Champions League? Or is this just uh, too much of a cross to bear in the month of October and you might see them slip a little bit? I would say a lot of it. Well, this uh, international break is going to be key, right? Because, mm. yeah, they, they face Porto now that I know... Historically, Porto were very strong at home in the in the Champions League. You know, they they have a really good record there. Um, but you have seen English teams go there kind of more recently and get results. I think um, Chelsea was one. Uh, Liverpool themselves did win quite emphatically back in 2019, which was their last their last trip there, and they actually won five nil there in 2018. So you get the feeling that. Liverpool, you know, will go into the Porto game thinking they can pick up the points there. If they do that, then it takes off a lot of pressure going into that Atleti game coming that comes after the international break because then they'll have taken their six points from the first two games with one of those being away. So I think that, you know, they will feel in a fairly good position going into that Atleti game. And then in regards to the Premier League, I suppose... You know, they'll want to win that City game being at home. They would want to take the points. But then maybe, the, in a way, the bigger game is how do they face Watford straight after the 
um, the international break. I don't know if will their Brazilian players be allowed to play in that game if they if this time they travel because if you remember the the Brazilian ba- the sorry the English based Brazilian players didn't travel for the last World Cup qualifiers because of issues over quarantine. I think that might have all been kind of fixed with the with the Premier League this time around. But if it isn't, then they could have some some peop- some players missing for that game against Watford, and that's one of those games where they wouldn't want to to slip up and then you think okay after that you've got the United game which is also on the road so so I think you know that it's the international break and what might happen there there could be players injured as well that that could really be very key for for this particular run I mean I think I do think the the Brentford game was interesting um that they that they managed to concede three, but if you look at their last five games, Liverpool have managed to score three goals themselves. And usually, if you score three goals, you will take all three points, like like they showed against in the Milan game, for example. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so they're doing very well offensively, and I think the Brentford games are going to be, you know, that's going to be the the one in the one in ten or something, I suppose that where you do actually concede three as well from the way you're playing. But I think Liverpool have looked are looking much stronger. I mean it's it's a different proposition to to last season. So it's a it's a difficult run, but I think they could still come out of it um if not on top, you know, very close to to those top positions. Because we'll see, you know, United and and City themselves will We'll have a few tough games um, before the end of the month. Sure. Last uh, last time Liverpool was held to less than three goals in all competitions. One one draw against Chelsea at home on August twenty eighth. So that and they've won every match except for the Brentford match, and even that Chelsea match was a one one draw. So, um, Ralph, before we let you go, where can everyone find your work, especially the work you do with my wonderful co host? Sure, yeah. I mean, I love talking Premier League, but I also talk a lot about Paraguayan football. I'm at Paraguay Ralph on Twitter, and I do a weekly a podcast with Roberto and, and with our colleagues, Fede and Maria. We do something called Guarani Vision, which is talking about Paraguayan football, all kind of aspects in English language. So you can find us, Guarani Vision is on Twitter, and we're also on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And it's going to be very important coming up because with the international break, uh, Paraguay certainly uh, sitting mid-table in in Conmebol and are going to need to uh, pick up some results if they're going to want to get to Qatar for 2022. So, uh, uh, Ralph, I want to thank you again for joining us on the show. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you and uh, look forward to speaking with you again very, very soon, my friend. Thanks, guys. And special thanks again to Ralph Hanna for joining us on the show Mr. Rojas, we have some great, great matches of the week coming up, so let me give them to you. Let me give you the big rundown. On Tuesday, Champions League, PSG, Manchester City, 3 p.m. Then we go to Copa Libertadores, where Atletico Minero and Palmeiras will kick off at 8.30 p.m. Uh, these are all Eastern time. On Wednesday, Juve, Chelsea, 3 p.m. Then we have Barcelona, Flamengo in the uh, in the Copa Libertadores at 8.30 p.m. And then a big one in MLS, LAFC, still fighting to try and get into those playoff spots. They're going to welcome in Portland Timbers at 10.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Thursday, we go to the Europa League with Marseille and Galatasaray kicking off at 3 p.m. Then on Saturday, the big weekend, Wolfsburg uh, and uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach take, kicking off uh, in, the, in the Bundesliga at 9.30 a.m., we have Atletico Madrid-Barcelona, 3 p.m. That's the big matchup on Saturday. Then on Sunday, we are going to kick off, and unfortunately there are a lot of matches in that 11 o'clock slot on Sunday, so 
Pick your poison. But uh, we have Lil Marseille in Ligue 1 at 11 a.m. Then what we are absolutely calling match of the week, Liverpool-Manchester City at 11.30 a.m. And then if you still have any energy left over, you can welcome in the Serie A, Atalanta, and AC Milan at 2.45 p.m. Those are our matches of the week. So, Mr. Rojas, I would like to lay the trivia question back on you again, my friend, if you would, uh, if you're ready. Go for it. So, like I mentioned earlier, Pedro today in the Rome Derby became the third player to score for both sides in the Rome Derby. Can you name the other two? And the hint I gave you is neither of these players are Italian. Okay, so I have one name because I'm trying to think of players that played for both clubs. I'll give you. And there's only. Yeah, sorry. I'll give you one second little bit of advice. I know you'll get one because he's a more recent player, but the other players from the 1950s. Okay, so I think that uh, correlates to my uh, answer. Mm -hmm. I'm not confident about it though, but um, just because he's been a player that played at both clubs. But he's a defender. That's my fear. I don't know if he scored in them. Is it Alexander Kolarov? It is Alexander Kolarov. He is wow. one of the two players. Okay. The other one I'll give you because I don't. I was not a name I was familiar with, and I don't think you would be familiar with him as well. Um, but uh, but this was the other one. Again, my source is uh, uh, Italian Football TV. Uh, they had tweeted mm-hmm. this a little earlier, but this this player is uh, Swedish. He played uh, for Udinese from fifty four to fifty five. Lazio from 55 to 58, Roma from 58 to 61, back to Udinese, and then Scovid in uh, from 64 to 66. That player, Arnie Selmason, uh, played for, like I said, Lazio from 55 to 58, and Roma 58 to 61, the only other player to score in both sides of the Rome Derby. So that's all I have on the docket, my friend. Uh, so let's put the uh, finishing touches on episode 337. Let's do it. All right, here we go. And great. So for episode 337 of Lone Man Football, special thanks again to Mr. Ralph Hanna for joining us next week. We'll bring you all the results of all the action from Champions League and Europa League for match day two. We'll look back on the Liverpool-Man City matchup, and we'll get you prepped for the uh, international break as they get ready for World Cup qualifying all around the world. So for episode 337 of Lone Man Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.